Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. Hello, everyone. I am Gender Master, and I use they, them pronouns. And I have a wonderful guest with me today. Hello. Would you like to introduce yourself with your name and pronouns? Hi, everybody. My name is Myth. You might know me as Amethyst. I do go by both, and my pronouns are they, them. Yay, them. Yay, them. I don't know why I'm feeling funny today, but I am. Well, I am so grateful that you wanted to hang out today and talk about cool stuff yeah thank you for having me it's so exciting when am i not feeling funny meowster mirror me ass maybe when i'm actively asleep <laughs> so i realized that you are a human being in the world that exists when you did a cool tweet yes and i want to share the tweet but first maybe could you just tell us a little bit about yourself what do you do when you're not here on this talk show what does your life look oh. like What do I do? And vibe and exist is totally an answer. Yeah, I vibe and exist. The past year has been hard on everybody, so I've been mostly surviving that. I am a writer, and when there's not a panini going on, I'm a public speaker, and I mostly write and speak on autism and neurodivergence and disability rights. So that's my realm of where I usually do my work. As a person, I am a huge nerd. I'm a big bookworm. I'm a writer and just for fun and pleasure, pick and things, and I play a lot of role-playing games online with my group of friends. I'm currently running two campaigns. One is like loosely 5e uh, D&D, and one is a Phoenix Dawn Command campaign, which I managed to like jury-rig to work in uh, Rule 20. <laughs> it's nice. really not intended for that, but I managed yeah. to make it work. And otherwise, I am just vibing with my cats. That's so cool. I love that for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm I am a Twitch streamer and mm. I have a really cool Discord community and I'm also like autistic, ADHD, neurodivergent, invisible disabilities with chronic pain, <laughs> trans, non-binary transmasculine, like all the things. So I yeah. spend a lot of time at home with this cute cat, Napper Kitty, who's on screen, and my wonderful wife, Trans Capybara, who's working very hard in the other room and also lurking in the stream. This is what I do. I like hang out and have conversations with people about gender. It's like the coolest job ever. <laughs> it does. It sounds like the coolest job ever. We were playing. So my birthday, my stream birthday was last week, a, a week ago today. So we are a year and one week old now, the stream. Congratulations. Thank you. It's really cool that we managed to get this far and so we played night in the woods which i don't know if you've heard of that game but it has lots of portrayals of of mental health and things but there was this line where the main character may runs into the video store and is talking to i don't remember which character was behind the desk if it was the bear character or the the deer but says to the the character like oh who was that oh it was this this video historian it's like vhs historian and May was like, how do you get a job like that? And the, 
the historian says, it sounds like the kind of job you get when you don't need a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, it's too real. Yeah. It's so funny. Oh, to be privileged enough to just soak in your hobby all day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... Anyways, for some reason, I laughed really hard when we got there because I was like, I have this because, like, disability and autism, and thankfully, like, Capybara mm -hmm. is a software engineer, so, like, oh. she pays rent, and I can be disabled and be of service to people on the internet, but it'd be cool to one day have enough income to support us so she can retire. Yeah. No, I get that. My my platonic life partner, Marvin, works and supports the two of us because I do make some money from like selling t-shirts uh, on Redbubble and public speaking engagements, the occasional writing job, but yeah, I wouldn't be able to support myself as is, so I acknowledge how lucky I am in that regard. Yeah, and it means that we get to do things like make cool content and art that changes people's lives for the better. Yeah. I Sometimes it can feel like with everything that's going on and all the people in the world, what I've done is small and sometimes even the feeling of not enough, but I do know that there are people who have had their lives positively impacted by my videos or my writing. That's really cool and humbling and Josen Star says, you know, that my videos were important in their case so that's totally a good example <laughs> being yeah. reminded yeah what we do Josen, matters Josen has been a guest on the show before whoops I was trying to fix my camera popped up there Josen was our episode three guest and now we're in episode 22 Ooh. Ooh. yeah we talked about gender abolition it was a great talk if you ever want to geek out about that for a while it's on youtube on a playlist, I can send it to you. Yeah, it's wonderful talking about all of that stuff. But today we're going to talk about like autism and neurodiversity and all of those things. And I wanted to start by sharing the tweet that got my attention mm -hmm. and helped me realize that you, one, exist, and two, are really cool. Thank you. So would you like to read this to us or would you like me to read to us? I don't know if there's too much lag and it's hard <clears> to read over Twitch or... What you'd like to do no i i can read it i just have to get, go to my twitter real quick sweet and for anyone who's wondering myth's twitter handle is at neuro wonderful which is such a fun way to say that like <laughs> my talk show is genderful which is gender wonderful yeah so i love that that's the handle you picked for your twitter that's so yeah, nice i've been using that since i think around 2013 on tumblr it was my blog handle. Okay, so this tweet that did take off a little bit, got some attention. I've seen it in the wild, like screenshotted elsewhere. It's part joke and part serious. It says, the five neurodivergent love languages. Info dumping, parallel play, support swapping, please crush my soul back into my body, and I found this cool rock slash button slash leaf, etc., and I thought you would like it. It's so amazing. <laughs> Seriously, I sent this to my therapist. I showed my wife. Everyone loves it. And then you go on to define or explain each yeah. one, which I super love. And if you'd be willing to read those to folks who might be listening later, sure. too. So I'll read the tweet. And if I think of anything in the moment that I want to add to it, I will. But going through these replies. So people were asking, like, what are those things? And info dumping is 
talking about an interest or passion of yours, sharing information, usually in detail and at great length, but you can like micro-info dump for sure. Parallel play, some people call this being alone together or just existing together. It's when you're, you know, both reading your own books in the same room or one person is doing a puzzle while another plays a video game, etc. Just like existing together. Uh, support swapping. I think I just used this term. I don't know if it was an existing term before this tweet thread, really. Uh, I use it to mean when neurodivergent people specifically accommodate or support each other in areas that are affected by their neurodivergence. If I remind a friend who has poor interoception to hydrate and they ask me if I've taken my meds, uh, like that's support swapping. Or if a friend helps me write an email and get the tone and then later I help them with the executive functioning of homework, like I consider that support swapping. And I have uh, friends that I do this with and I didn't realize it was a neurodivergent thing. Yeah, I think we are really good at, we will learn ways to support ourselves and accommodate ourselves, but we also I've noticed neurodivergent people just tend to offer help to each other and it, I have heard that some people who have anxiety or executive functioning issues can overcome it for somebody else. So that can be a hack. So, help you do your taxes, you help me do my taxes. Yeah, and since <laughs> making this thread, I had people reply to me and so I learned about a term specifically more ADHD related, I think, called body doubling, which is mm. where things like brushing your teeth or, or doing things you need to do. Um, that it involves executive functioning, getting started, uh, are easier if somebody else does it with you or alongside you. Oh my gosh, So I guess yes. body doubling is in that support swapping. Yeah, umbrella. it sounds like a combination of parallel play and support swapping. I love that so much. Yeah, yeah. And then the last one is, or the last two are, uh, please crush my soul back into my body, which is basically just deep pressure input, good. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, providing totally. that proprioceptive input can really like soothe your nervous system and many neurodivergent people get comfort from like a weighted blanket. I take it a step further and I'm like, just put your you on my me. Please yeah. just throw your legs over mine, squish me, give me a real good crushing hug when I trust someone. Like that's really, it's really good. <laughs> it <laughs> is. Deep pressure and put good. And then the, I found this cool rock, button leaf, etc. is like unconventional gift giving that is sharing things that are valuable or interesting to you as a sign of affection or giving someone else something they know that they'd be interested in. Like my friend Leaf really likes rocks. So mm -hmm. if I find a cool rock, not even like a tumbled stone, but just like a cool rock somewhere, I'll probably pick it up and think of them and give it to them later because neurodivergent people might have interests that neurotypical people might side-eye or if not like disapprove of just think is a little odd but if we give you a leaf or a rock or a I don't know a cool stamp or something like it's an expression of affection and even if it's a little odd it's I think just as valid it's so wonderful to see this tweet and the thoughtfulness that went into it and I just think it's really cool that you want to like hang out and be my guest today so <laughs> Thanks for talking about more of the stuff. It's I feel like during pandemic especially, neurodiversity has become a special interest because like I discovered my own autism and ADHD because I was home a lot and so I wasn't masking anymore. Oh yeah. And then I'm like, oh that's what's been going on. Wow. I'm it thinking helps. that might not be an uncommon experience, honestly. Yeah, no, yeah. I think a lot of people have had that. And so it's my my wife 
has been out as autistic for a couple of years now. And I think she realized she was trans by realizing she had what used to be called female autism. Now there's like all kinds right. of problematic ways that's a whole thing yeah. and blah, blah. But uh, she realized her gender because of her neurodiversity. And so we, she helped me process me coming to terms with being autistic and telling other people in the world that I'm autistic because yeah. there was all this fear and there's so much, I don't know, stigma around it. No, I get that. I totally get that. And I think it's so wonderful that you could have each other for that. And I have been the friend who is helping somebody who as an mm -hmm. adult is going through it and realizing they're neurodivergent or autistic. So I've, I've been in that position that Capybara was in. And mm -hmm. I just feel very happy when I get the chance to do that for somebody. Yeah. I also just want to say, like, stretching and stimming and, like, self-care is totally allowed on this podcast, so if you Noted. need to do a thing, please don't feel like you have to mask to talk about neurodiversity. That's good. <laughs> Thank you for that. And it always feels more welcome to have that. I do still, as much as I talk about how it's good to drop the mask when you can and how you should stim if you need to, I still have this, just, it's so ingrained in me where I try to sit still, especially when I'm, like, talking with my mouth with people mm -hmm. but I definitely over the course of this conversation you'll see me start to stim with my hands more maybe rock a little bit and it's not that I'm not actively trying to mask it's just it's so ingrained in me at this point to be charismatic to do the facial expressions to do the tone of voice and it, there are times when I can relax a little bit and I I think this is one of those times be a no. little bit more myself no doing heart hands Sometimes I wiggle around so much I keep having to move my camera because I hacked it up when I was stretching. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. It's all good, though. Cool. Here's a fluffy question I came up with at some point. What is your favorite parallel play activity? I, like I said, I'm a big bookworm, so I really like when you're in the same room with somebody and you're both reading something, like comics, you have a book, whatever. One of my fondest memories from a trip I took to LA, and I stayed with my friend Nick there, is that we were, we had gone to a bookstore together and then we just spent some time with what we had gotten just reading in the same room just having quiet like decompression time and it's funny that in this like huge city uh with lots of fun things to do and i did lots of fun things on that trip that is a memory that really stands out to me just because nick's a good friend and i just really appreciate having somebody who gets me in that way and can enjoy that kind of parallel play i love oh, that we're being rated <laughs> yes my my wife and i the other day i think she was like sorting pictures on her computer she has like decades mm. of photos that needs to be archived appropriately and i was like playing a video game on the tv with my little like switch dock or whatever That's and so we're just both sitting on the way. on the couch next to each other doing our things but it was so nice and like sometimes i'd reach out a foot <laughs> in her general yeah. direction like how little necker kitty here sometimes she'll be laying on one of us but then she'll just reach one paw out to the other one to just set it on you she likes yeah, exactly. to make sure she's cuddling everybody. It's Cats are masters of, of just existing together in the same space. Totally. Yeah. I like when you're parallel playing and say if you're both on your phones, every once in a while you'll show a meme or something. Or if you're reading together, I'm kind of, I don't know, maybe a bit of a nerd about it. But if I come across a passage I really, or a sentence in the book, I really, I will say, can I read you this? And I'll read it out loud and just share that part of it with them. So just that, that existing together with like periodic moments of sharing, I find really comfortable. That's so nice. I love it so much. Let's talk a little bit about gender. 
How about, how has your relationship to gender evolved over time? Such a big question. Totally. (laughs) The family I grew up in was, I didn't have a perfect childhood uh, in a lot of ways. In some ways it wasn't a good childhood. Something cool about my immediate family was that my mom didn't really go in for gender roles. And if my brother was interested in like pink and more like stereotypically feminine things, go for it, do what you like. And same went for me, but like to a degree. So there was always a little bit of getting two messages at the same time. Mm -hmm. But in some ways we were encouraged to just be ourselves and I really liked that, but I didn't think much about gender. When I was around 13 or 14 is when I started seriously considering that I might not fully be a girl. And I had a friend at the time who one day, just out of nowhere in middle school, asked me, are you bisexual? And I said, what is that? And he explained, it's when you like girls and boys. And in my mind, because I was so, I don't know, as an autistic and black and white thinker, naturally, Mm -hmm. and I grew up in a heteronormative, this normative society. So I thought to a girl, you had to be a boy. And I thought to a boy, you had to be a girl. So if you were bisexual, you liked both genders and were both genders at the same time. So I had this very wrong idea of what bisexual meant, but for a couple of years, that's in my head how I identified. Mm -hmm. It was like bisexual, like it meant both non-binary and bi to me. Yeah, like Uh, bi-gender and bisexual. Later, I found the word genderqueer. I'm 30. Like when I was first exploring gender online as a teenager, uh, there wasn't really the word non-binary yet or Mm -hmm. it wasn't super common. What you saw much more was genderqueer. So for many years, just to myself, that's how I identified. And I took any opportunity to to gender bend or cosplay or dress up in a costume that allowed Mm -hmm. me to masculinize myself. A memory that really sticks out for me is in high school, we had a kind of medieval banquet where you were encouraged to come in costume and LARP, and there were professional actors there performing like the court roles. And there was a little play that would happen throughout the night where some of the students were invited to like participate. And I I went as the squire to my friend's night and I went as a boy with the hair slicked back and the shirt and the belt and the sword. And then part of the plot of the evening, which we did not clear with the adults. And so we just started performing in the middle of this thing and they couldn't stop us was uh, I'm revealed to be a woman in disguise. Like my friend actually pulls my shirt open, revealing like that my chest is bound. And I'm like 17 at the time, Mm -hmm. just totally dramatic and into it. And there ends up being, the evening concludes with my character being judged by the church and like put in the stocks. (laughs) So like just, (laughs) I really enjoyed playing with gender. And even when I didn't have a very complete or accurate picture of what like transgender was or what genderqueer was, I I really always enjoyed the chances I had to play around with it. And I was always very into stories of Tamora Pierce's series, Alana, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who was a a young woman who pretended to be a boy to become a knight. And then thinking back, it's so obvious that I was so upset when Alana is revealed to be a woman, Mm -hmm. like around the third book in this young adult series. And she begins to be called a woman and treated as a woman. I, I just, something about it was disappointing to me and I couldn't put my finger on why. And I really liked the movie Mulan as a kid, Disney's Mulan. But again, there was like this sense of almost disappointment with how it turned out, not because it's a bad story or anything, just I was projecting and something wasn't quite coming to fruition the way I mm-hmm. wanted it to. And now I understand those feelings to be like that I'm loosely like transmasculine aligned. I. I think that's how I would place myself these days. Yeah. So that was an expression of that. And and then really my 
special interest basically in gender took off around 2014-2015 era Tumblr when I was on there. And when I first came to Tumblr, I did make some missteps. I said some things that I now cringe look back on. And it just makes me so grateful for the really lovely people in the community, many of whom are also autistic, who took the time to explain things to me and to explain terminology and yeah, gave me resources that really sparked an interest in, in gender in general, different cultures, gender and things like that. And now here yeah. I am. Here you are. Wonderful. Neuro wonderful and gender wonderful. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Do you, how does being autistic inform your gender? I, I have lots mm. of thoughts on this, like the crossover between the Venn diagram that is autistic and the Venn diagram that is yeah. like some gender beyond cis. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. So sorry if you hear the plane going overhead. I recently wrote a piece for the book Sincerely Your Autistic Child, which is a collection of essays from autistic adults written to the parents, the hypothetical parents of autistic children, like what we wish our parents would have known. And my mm -hmm. essay in particular was on gender uh, and sexuality a little bit, but about how autistic people are more likely to identify as anything but cisgender. And there's a lot of really interesting research finally being done about that. Some autistic-led research, which is really neat. We don't quite know exactly why yet. It might be that it's because gender is a social construct. Like, not meaning that it isn't significant and important to many people, but that it's one of those social things that autistic people can have a hard time parsing or seeing the need for. That these gender roles that we're encouraged to conform to we might be more likely to question it. It also might be that we are just more likely to come out and identify as anything but cis. So there is that interesting intersection with autistic people in general. We're more likely to be non-cis and non-het. For me, there was a little bit of obliviousness going on, especially in my early life as a child and young teen. I just didn't, I didn't catch on to a lot of the roles that I was supposed to be feeling that subtle pressure towards from society. I had to have them obviously explained to me. There were points in my childhood and, and early teens where my peers would say, you can't do that. This is the yeah. role you are supposed to perform. And until it was explicitly stated to me, I didn't just pick it up mm -hmm. from like the media and things around. So there was some oblivious happening, obliviousness happening in my early childhood. And then as a teenager, I felt very different in pretty much every way. I really resonated with stories of fantasy stories where someone finds out they're not really human, like they actually belong in some other fantasy land or they're from some other planet, they're an alien. I just always felt different and a little distanced from my peers. And so I just, I didn't have words for autism. I wasn't diagnosed yet. I didn't even really know autism was. I didn't yeah. yet have words really for like transgender. So I just felt like there was something very weird about me and it all got lumped in together. And only later in life did I begin to attempt to pull that apart and figure out like what parts of me that feel so different as gender, what part of it is neurotype. And the answer was that some of these things are impossible to, to untangle or yeah. pull apart because they're so linked. I do feel like in a way that I'm not 100% sure about putting words to yet, being autistic and the neurotype I have does definitely influence my perception of gender. Sometimes I feel like it makes it a little bit difficult for me to pin down my own feelings. I want, I, I am the kind of autistic person who tends to want facts and like objectivity. 
and to mm -hmm. be able to make a pros and cons list or to be able to categorize things. And taxonomy is really important to me. Having words is really important to me. So there was a time when I would get really frustrated around that 2015-2016 era Tumblr learning stage because I found these different micro labels and none of them were quite right. And I was feeling like maybe there was something wrong with me again, like that if I didn't quite fit into anything, is it possible that I'm even too weird for, you know, being non-binary? But now I understand uh, more that for some micro labels like uh, Demi Boy or Gender Flux or are very useful and validating, but for others is just none of them quite fit. And so I've come to the place of being okay with just the general terms of like trans or non-binary or genderqueer. I, I'm okay with that these days and I put less pressure on myself to to fit into a, a box that might be super comfortable for someone else, but isn't quite right for me. Yeah. So in the, when we were doing sort of our pre-interview, like what are some things we might talk about? You mentioned this phrase, autogender, A-U-T-I, yeah. gender. I've never heard of that. What is that? Can you tell us So <laughs> it's funny that I just said, no, micro labels don't really apply to me, but this one kind of does. This is an interesting term. It is obviously, related to gender. Some people consider it a whole gender in itself, and some people consider it more of an adjective. Like you could be autogender trans or autogender transmasculine, or you could be autogender agender. It was coined around 2014, I think, by two blogs on Tumblr. One's URL was Autism Gender, and one was Esperance Girl. I don't know if either of those blogs are active anymore, but they were the ones who coined it through a blog called MOGAI Archive at the time. And the definition is, it's a little bit encompassing because it's going to mean a little bit different thing to each autistic person who, who resonates with it, but it's when your autism and your neurotype so directly or all-encompassingly affects your gender, your concept of gender, your understanding of what gender is, that you can't separate your autism and your gender. It's like your autistic sense of self and being is innately connected to gender and or influences how you understand your gender. For me, I, I would say, oh, yeah, autogender fits because I feel like my autistic brain, my autistic experiences I've had in my life, and just my natural way of being do influence how I understand my own gender, how I grasp gender as a concept. And I, I do tend to use it more of an adjective, that I am autogender non-binary. Yeah. I like that. That's so cool. I'm thinking about people in my Discord server community who <clears throat> may fit some of these words. I'm noticing that the... I don't know if I've met a trans person who's not neurodiverse. neurodiverse. Like, maybe there's a neurotypical trans person that exists. I don't know if I've met them. <laughs> Legend tells that they might be out there somewhere, but I've certainly <laughs> never met a completely neurotypical trans person. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really high comorbidity. There, there really is. And Allegedly, I have a friend who has a friend who knows a cishet autistic person. I believe them. I believe that they, if they say they are, but it seems pretty rare too. That's so funny. So a lot of people join the Discord and we have all these like questioning roles for folks to figure out stuff, figure yeah. out gender, figure out neurodiversity, whatever. And so we call it eggs hatching or eggs cracking. Like yeah. <laughs> so many people come in and they're like, I'm trans. And then they realize, oh, I'm autistic too, or I'm autistic. Oh mm -hmm. my God, I might be trans or gay or something. And <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. It's really fun. It feels 
rewarding to find be holding a space where people can feel comfortable enough to discover themselves more deeply yeah i like that joke too uh that some trans people say that they have a trans beam where they will trans their friends genders because as your friends get to know you and you talk about gender they might learn things that they hadn't learned before and realize that they themselves aren't cis i, I joke that i have that but with autism Mm -hmm. I've had friends who, when they first met me, they might have identified as neurodivergent or ADHD but not autistic, but there's four now, four friends who have come to realize that they are autistic in adulthood through being friends with me. So I yeah. call that my, like, autism beam. I love that. And with autism and neurodivergence, it's like neurodiversity. I totally lost my train of thought. I lost no it. Worries. It's a superpower and a struggle all at once. ADHD brain? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I get that. I can run a D&D session. Mm -hmm. I have a million things going on in my head at one time. Somehow ADHD has all these tabs open and it's working. But then someone like asks me a question mm -hmm. and I forget every English word I've ever known in my life. I drop all the balls. That's right. It's yeah, it's the same. I there was a while that I was streaming two D&D campaigns I was running on Twitch, both of them every week. Monday and Wednesday had different campaigns I was running, completely different groups of people, and it ended up being way too much, too much juggling, so I had to slow down. No, it's, <laughs> and knowing your limits is really important. <laughs> running any campaign of people who haven't done it might underestimate a little just how much it takes out of you, mm -hmm. so how much like mental energy and time. Koto524 says something interesting in the chat just now about using 2000s era roleplay forums to explore your gender or orientation or neurodivergent. Thank you for flashing me back to pro boards because yes, like I should, that should definitely be a point on the timeline of my gender discovery because wow, I was very into text roleplaying. It was my primary hobby as a teenager and yes, I was absolutely exploring my gender and orientation in a way that was safe. Like it was at the time the internet was still pretty anonymous and no one was putting their actual like name and stuff in their bio and I could say I was a guy if I wanted to and then the next day I could say I was a girl or I could just refuse to tell people my gender. I could play genderless characters in a roleplay, be an alien or be an elf with no gender and it was absolutely like a source of fun and freedom and self-discovery and yeah shout out to 2000s era text roleplay on Gaia Online or like pro boards or whatever. Yeah, Mirami adds, I know a lot of people have found space in RPGs to explore their genders. It's a lovely thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's, we actually have a looking for group tabletop stuff in our Discord server because it's so cool to be able to use tabletop games or other sorts of role-playing games to find those yeah, identities absolutely. and try them out. The loosely 5e game that I'm running is, the concept is it's an urban game set in the socialist solar punk meets fantasy city of Saltura, and the uh, adventurers are investigative adventurers who solve magical or supernatural cases as a team, and I intentionally and thoughtfully made this world very gay and trans. Like, it is very normal. Saltura has a pride parade every June. Pronoun pins are super common. My NPCs are often not cis and not het, and it's just, it's so cool. All of our characters, too, our player characters, not cis or, or not het in some way, and we all get to explore that as a bunch of neurodivergent queer and trans people. So I just, it's, it's really cool and fun, and 
if I'm going to make a world, heck, it's going to be colorful. And yeah. fuck yeah, it's going to be gay as hell. Oh, <laughs> Loosely 5e, also known as 5 eh. Yeah, 5 eh. <laughs> It's like when most of your friends have only played 5e, you still want to run a campaign for them. Yeah, It's been interesting. We played a lot of 5e in 2020, and then the two people of color in my group were like, we're so done with this. It's so racist, the way that mm-hmm. all the stuff is. And so we stopped. We just we just straight yeah. up full stop stop both of our campaigns and we went searching for a long time for a system to use instead. We had a lot of criteria and we found and tried a lot of different things. And I I think by the time we finally found the system that we thought would work well for us, we lost steam as a group. Oh yeah. To keep like doing the thing and streaming and whatever. So now we have a private game with some of us, not all of us, some right. of us from that group. But it it was definitely an interesting journey, like trying to figure out how can we do tabletop games and decolonize the the yeah. racism. Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind me taking a little tangent away from like autism specifically, in my game, I reworked quite a few of the races. So I did away with a lot of the anti-indigenous race, all of the anti-indigenous racism usually associated with orcs and goblins. In fact, orcs, I really swung the other way and I made them based on Viking culture specifically and with dwarves to because just I know that's very fraught with like ableism and people who have dwarfism there's all these mixed feelings about dwarves and fantasy uh, I instead made that race the Oramos is what I named them and they are uh, like kind of mountain goat people hmm. so they build their homes like into the sides of mountains and they mine for ore and have a lot of the same like mechanical traits as dwarves but the oramos also get like cute horns and hooves and they crave that mineral and then like i had goblins be uh recent arrivals from the feywild uh, who are new to this world and they're not like understood to be monsters like they're just different they're just little friends who have very like cooperative societies that are like matrilineal and they're polyamorous and i like project all of my own interests into these colorful little friends. My goblins are like an array of rainbow colors and I just made it so there are no evil races in my D&D game and wrote a lot of my own lore when it comes to the different races and classes to avoid as much as I could. And all, all of my players were on board with that. So it's worked out well for us, but what you did and, and what your you know, party did, your table is totally valid too. Like I understand is totally wanting to divorce from Wizards of the Coast and just not have anything to do with that system. I I feel those feelings too, right? So I get it. There's the added layer of challenge where there's something about my brain Mm -hmm. that makes it really hard to read books and learn the new things. And like, I learned D&D by listening to D&D podcasts for a year before I ever played. Gotcha. And so it's been harder to find like recordings and things I can listen to and systems that I can learn by listening or watching because I just cannot get myself to sit down and read a whole book. And I, there was a while where we were doing a bunch of one shots of a bunch of different systems and it was so stressful because it was like, I have to learn a new thing every week. This is so much. Oh my God. Yeah. That's a lot, especially depending on the complexity of the system you're using. Yeah. So I've made a lot of friends in the sort of indie tabletop realm who will make a character with me. We'll sit down and make a character. And I've just told them, I just need help because I'm overwhelmed. And yeah, I want to play and also my brain, though. And so I've been really delighted, especially by my friend Logan, who is another guest. Ink and Stories is 
his handle on the internet, but he makes sweet little games. And so I follow him on Twitter. Yeah, actually, we're, we're like buds now. It's really cute. We're gonna do a home game of Wander Home this next month. I had to schedule like three or oh. four weeks out because we both. Yeah. I've got a kid parenting schedule this summer that's a little more complicated than usual when school's in session. Anyways, it's like Logan and I have sat down at 10 p.m. my time, which is 2 p.m. the next day, his time down in Australia, and have made characters at 10 o'clock at night so I can play Wander Home with him. Because <laughs> it's like a really cool system and it my brain really is just good. like, ah, the things! So it's a great system. You should totally try Wander Home. Yeah, I have my eye on it. I absolutely it's so will. great. It's so great. So... Yeah, it's been cool, like, getting to know people in, like, indie tabletop Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I have a couple of friends who introduced me, you know, to more and more indie games and really got me the taste for it. Phoenix Dawn Command is technically an indie game. It's a role-playing game that uses tarot-sized cards instead of dice. And it's like a board game meets a, a role-playing game. And I really enjoy it. It's a little bit of a wild concept. You're magical superheroes who level up by dying. And you have seven lives and to live and make a difference and fight this evil in the world called the Dread. And every time you come back, you're a little more powerful. But when you die your seventh death, that's it. So I, I really oh. like Phoenix Dawn Command. It's just, it's neat. It's a, it combines a lot of my interests. There's a little bit of uh, fantasy horror in what you're fighting. And then there's the magical superheroes aspect. And yeah, I just really like Phoenix Dawn Command. And that's my shout out to Together Studios, T-W-O together and phoenix dawn command if you're interested look into it <clears throat> i'll add it to the show notes that sounds really cool we're at 57 minutes and i knew we wanted to check in about an hour and see i have two questions before any sort of resource or reminders and then if anyone in the chat has questions we could possibly take those too so I was wondering if you can share a moment of gender euphoria. This is a question I love to ask all my guests because it's so fun to talk about euphoria. I have experienced a lot of the classic ones, like the moment you first put on a binder, which my first binder was a gift from my friend Leaf, and that was quite something for me because I am such a huge nerd. Whenever a friend or my girlfriend kind of compares me to a, a character that I like and admire. I get gender euphoria. Like, a couple times in my life, people have told me I'm a little bit like Milo Thatch from Atlantis, and he was like peak gender feels <laughs> for me as a young person. So I really like that. And then getting to play as a GM, I get to be a bunch of different NPCs. And I do feel gender euphoria when I play a few of my male or trans mask NPCs one in particular named Justice, who's this tiefling who uses a wheelchair like I do. I'm a ambulatory wheelchair user, so I, wa I can walk with a cane, uh, but I also sometimes use a chair. And when I get to be him and describe his cool outfits and talk in this slight British accent, I just, I really like being Justice. And I guess just having my gender validated is still a little new to me. I've been socially out for about two years, and with the group of friends I play D&D &D with, everybody has been so consistent about using my pronouns and they've always really respected my gender. And if anybody ever does accidentally make a mistake, it's very rare and they quickly like correct and move on. And I feel so safe with that group. So having like my friends and my lovely girlfriend just consistently get it right and I can tell that they aren't just like memorizing my pronouns, but they try to understand that I'm a non-binary person and it's core to my identity. 
having a friend group at all is new to me. And then, then that on top of it, it's like, it's euphoric. So yeah. yeah. Is there a fair bit of neuro wonderfulness in your friend group? Yes, we are all neuro wonderful to some degree. I think three of five of us, four or five of us are autistic. It's a really good group. And I accidentally stumbled into it, um, I don't know, a couple years ago, maybe a year and a half. And the fact that we all found each other and became such good friends like two two of us are from the Netherlands. Uh, one of us is from Canada. That's me. Two are from the U.S. The fact that we found each other and became such good friends is really it's really cool. <laughs> so I like that. I love that. No, I have a short story, and I think people who've heard the show and podcast have heard the story. So I'll keep it short. But whenever I turn on Zoom, I have this beard from my filter, <laughs> and I forget that it's on there. And so every time I see it, I'm like, ah there I am being handsome and looking like me it's so nice you are very handsome thank you and it took me a minute to catch on that it's a filter that's pretty Mm -hmm. good yeah it's wonderful I love it so much okay so my my last sort of major question is what would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary issues I guess the first thing is uh that I wasn't always knowledgeable. I didn't always know what I was talking about, made some mistakes. So I want people to know that if you are one of the people who helped me through this years ago on Tumblr.com, I appreciate it so much. And that I followed and been mutuals with people uh, who are trans, non-binary, and that's been such a, a, a learning thing for me. So I really appreciate that. I guess I tend to have a very like accepting idea of gender and however a person identifies as long as it's in good faith I'm cool with it and I do I've been very interested in queer theory over the last year about learning about specifically like more North American uh, and British just the, the history of the queer community and how people used to identify and the words that were used then and the words that are used now and I think learning that history has given me a broader understanding and acceptance of people and getting to actually know their trans and and non people has been really eye-opening for me. So my natural artistic inclination of black and white thinking and wanting to neatly categorize things, I like that I've been I've been beginning to move past it and just accept that every person is going to have their own idea of what gender is, what their gender is, and as long as we are like accepting and loving each other and identifying good faith, whatever, like whatever you want to call yourself. And I, that again, I feel more comfortable not necessarily picking a micro-label. Mm-hmm. Like just saying that like, I'm genderqueer. I love so. that. That's great. What resources would you like us to share? So we have together together studios Phoenix on command. For, in terms of like cross promo, we have your Twitter and your two books that you have essays featured in. Is there any sort of resources you want to talk oh, about? Oh boy, I guess specifically to autism. So somebody I really admire and I've admired for a long time is Lydia XZ Brown. They are a non-binary Asian American autistic activist and their work was really formative for my understanding of autism and autistic justice and disability justice. They're also an attorney and but also they were one of the first publicly non-binary autistic authors and, and activists that I saw. And I admire them so much and I think that their work is really thoughtful and well-written but also off, like accessible 
to people who aren't necessarily well-versed in academic language. So I recommend their work to anybody. And then I guess just on Twitter, there's the Actually Autistic hashtag. Mm -hmm. So if you are one of those people who over the course of this last year, you might be thinking, oh, maybe I'm not as neurotypical as I thought. I find that one of the best ways to learn and, and share with other people who might have similar experiences is just going straight to the source yeah. uh, of other autistic people. So Absolutely. I, I think that while it's a big tag and there's a lot of people in that tag, you can find some like good resources and also just see what autistic people say about themselves and their experiences. And if that happens to resonate with you, then that's your yeah. what you want to Honestly, like the meme subreddits for like autism and ADHD <laughs> have been such a huge yeah. awakening for me. Yeah. And I know it's just yeah. like autistic people shitposting about being autistic, but like actually though, <laughs> no, it's very it's, helpful. It's such an accessible format <laughs> and it's not as it's not as intimidating as like a big long blog post that mm -hmm. uses a lot of medical terminology. Like you're hearing interoception and, and executive functioning and praxia, you're like, what's that? But memes are a lot more accessible and can be a really good way of learning. Yeah. That's yeah. so fun. Oh my gosh. I can't believe how much I've learned from memes. That's wild. <laughs> That's me with the like uh, meme kind of subreddits for trans people and non-binary people. That like cracked me real good a couple years ago. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, we have one one post from the the chat. It came up during I guess our parallel play talk. Does parallel playing single player games together count? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, as long as you're in the same general area and just doing your own thing, I think that's totally parallel play. My Actually, my partner and I do that. We both play Animal Crossing New Horizons at the same time. He'll be on the tele television on our like main switch and I have my own little switch light. And I'll just be nice. like in my beanbag chair, he's on the couch, and every once in a while he'll say, oh, I got this like giant shark or something, or I'll yeah, say, yeah, oh, yeah. it's the, I forgot, it's the bug, bug hunt today. So yeah, totally yeah, yeah. parallel play. I played a lot of Animal Crossing last year. So much yeah. Animal Crossing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got really into it. Actually, I think I'm still, I've eased up to playing maybe like every other day, but into March, April of this year, I was still playing every day. And I was mm -hmm. one of the only people in my friend groups who were logging on every day. Mm -hmm. So I, it was a real source of comfort for me over the past year. There's a special form of grieving that happens when you feel a special interest starting to slip away. Oh. A moment of silence for all the special interests and hobbies that I've had and started and then fond memories, but I don't touch them anymore. Yeah. Yep. It's so interesting because when you're in it, you're like, I'm going to do this forever. Yeah. It's for me. That's what my brain says. This is it. This is my forever thing. And then yeah. there's some switch happens and I'm like, I'm over it. I'm done. For me, yeah, there's some interests that I have had my whole life and they become core interests of mine. Like mm -hmm. I'm a hobbyist herbalist and I grow my own herbs on our balcony here in our condo. I've been into that since I was 13. Like that's been a special interest for me along with like mythology uh, and folklore, cats. But then there are the smaller things that come and go. I'll be really into a certain video game or a certain kind of crafting or whatever for a while and a certain show. And then you feel that it's like new relationship energy. But yeah. for an interest, you feel totally. it begin to absolutely. fizzle out. Yeah, Sometimes absolutely. they stay in your life and become like beloved friends. And sometimes you say goodbye. You kiss the special interest goodbye. Yeah. 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 I feel like cats and video games are always going to be special interests. But like the yeah. specific video game is going to change a lot. 
Yeah, I get that. For me, uh, right now, I'm trying to finish up Divinity 2, or Divinity Original Sin 2. And, but like the fizzle, it's fizzled out for me. Mm-hmm. Like the special interest isn't there anymore. So I'm like pushing through to finish it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm lying in wait, waiting for my next like video game special interest to come along. I know yeah. it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Miramesis, that's a big game to actually finish. Yeah. And I tend to want to do all of the side quests. So Me too. It's just I always want to do all the things. I don't want to miss out. What if there's a trans person in the game and I don't find exactly. them because I didn't do the side quest? I found a couple gay couples. <laughs> so <laughs> I take screenshots and send them to my girlfriend when I do find some gays. I love it so much. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. I. Have you ever played Breath of the Wild? Yes, I've only gotten to that first village that you get to. That's actually my plan for when I'm done Divinity Original Sin 2, is I'm going to get back to Breath of the Wild. I was really enjoying it. I it's I bought a Nintendo Switch just so I could play that game, and even though now I have multiple games for the Switch, I still think if that's the only game I ever owned for the Switch, it would still be worth it. Yeah, it's, it's an such incredible a good game. game. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I love that early stage that where you haven't gotten any villages yet and you're just on your own. You're just mm-hmm. climbing cliffs and you're just crafting delicious mushroom meals and mm-hmm. it's just silence and nature, mm-hmm. some birds occasionally. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I recently finished a challenge run where I beat the whole game with three permanent hearts on hard mode. Oh my gosh. Because I'm that person. <laughs> so oh. much I'm out here, like, I barely know how to switch shields, but you're doing that. (laughs) Well, but I played so many other games in between some of the streams, I, like, would forget. I would forget how the buttons go, and I had to relearn it again and again. It's one of the the pitfalls of being a variety streamer, is you forget all the buttons, and you spend, like, the first 30 minutes of your stream remembering all the buttons. I'm not a variety streamer, but, (laughs) yeah, I am dyspraxic, (laughs) so going between games can be a challenge. It was really fun last week to only play one game the whole week and just have that consistency okay yeah and know how to do all the things that's great brain likes routine it's true it's true we had some guests come visit everyone super duper all the way vaccinated we had a guest come visit and it threw off all my routines and we didn't hard boil our eggs on sunday and then we didn't have breakfast for a week because it was like we forgot to do this thing it's so it's like i have to design the system of how my day goes or everything goes awry because my executive function is not great (laughs) yeah yesterday one of my sessions that i gm ended a little early and it just my whole day was like i don't know what's happening i don't know where i am (laughs) like i yeah i made it work but I totally get that. Like, even a small change to the routine can really throw me off. This is super fun, and I've run out of questions to ask you. We could totally just sit around and talk about whatever, but I also know, like, I, I'm feeling my blood sugar do this because I haven't had lunch, yeah, back, but not a lunch. Oh, yeah, you gotta have lunch then. Um, I will not keep you too long then. And this is so much fun, and I wish we could just talk for hours and hours. Yeah, this so has fun. been good. I'm glad we could meet and that I got to learn about your very cool Discord and your very cool Twitch channel and that we are aware of each other's existence now. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been such a Thank delight. Thank you for having me. And yeah, I look forward to hopefully more chats sometime on Twitter or yeah. Discord or in a voice chat or whatever feels cozy and awesome to you. Yeah. Yay. And uh, thanks for having me. and. 
thanks for being here, everybody who's in chat. This was really fun. So fun. Thank you.